Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Cone of Shame show on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast channel. So, we've got another medical episode. It's a how do you treat that episode with the one and only Megan Brashear. She is she has a, a alphabet soup behind her name. She is Megan Brashear, BS, CVT, VTS, Emergency and Critical Care. What you need to know is that she is a technician and she is an amazing teacher and educator. She's done so much stuff on video, online learning. She's now currently the Small Animal Veterinary Nursing Manager at Purdue University's College of Veterinary Medicine and Veterinary Teaching Hospital. Thank God. Because she's incredible and she's going to do so much good in the world in that role. If you're not familiar with Megan, you are in for a treat. She has this great style. She explains things so wonderfully, so simply, so well. And she's so down to earth and so practical. And I know I'm just gushing about her. I, I, I'm going to stop because you're going to hear and you're going to, uh, you're going to get a ton out of this, I believe. I don't care if you're a technician. I don't care if you're a doctor. I don't care who you are. Talking about the first 15 minutes of care for a block cat, it is important. It is a common emergency. We see it all the time. Make sure that you're up to speed and you are practicing the highest standard of care that you can. And here to help us make sure we're doing that is Megan Brashear. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Megan Brashear, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking. Oh, God. I'm, my pleasure. My pleasure. All right, cool. Let's play How Do You Treat That? And I have something fun for you. Ready? Great. Yes. All right, cool. Let's break down the first... 15-ish minutes of the block cat. Yes. So I have the classic. Let's say he's three to five years old, male neutered, indoor only, domestic short hair, uh, body condition score, eight and a half out of nine. <laughs> kids, kids are home from college, the whole place. His world has just gone to hell. And now, and now he's yowling in the litter box. And mom and dad have brought him in, and they're very concerned. Um, I feel his bladder. Uh, it's obvious. It's big. Um, I can't express it. This cat is blocked. Run me through real fast how you're treating these. I want to make sure I'm up to date and up to speed. Awesome. Um, uh, my first little caveat about these cats is we're very cavalier about them. Uh, this is, I feel very strongly about making sure we have the best anesthetic candidate possible. And so just remembering that some of these cats are the sickest things that we may see, even in emergency, they might be the sickest thing that we see that night. And so not to say it's just a blocked cat. Here we go. But gotcha. first okay. thing for me is let's get some pain meds on board <laughs> as, right. as the triage technician. I can't diagnose this cat, but I'm pretty sure I know what's going on. So the first thing I want to just chat with those owners about is, hey, let's get them a little more comfortable. And then we'll have a, a talk about what else we're going to do. So what do, you, 
Um, what are you reaching for for pain meds? Do you have preferences with these guys? I, I do. Um, and I, I realize I'm a little bit spoiled. Um, but in these guys, I am a fan of methadone. Uh, I think as far as opioids in cats, methadone tends to be the least um, insane in cats. <laughs> they okay. they tend to, to do pretty well with it. Um, if you don't have methadone, I think buprenorphine is acceptable. Um, I love buprenorphine post-obstruction in them. Um, but if that's all you've got, please use the strongest thing you have. Gotcha. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. So, you know, I like to just get a catheter in them right away. And then you have that ability to just give give your pain meds because often, unfortunately, it is a long conversation with owners about, you know, what we're going to do. So um, while your team is getting everything set up, just make sure that that cat is is comfortable and then fluids. <laughs> no, that's And that's that's a great tip. And so just get the vein like I and I get sucked into those conversations because the owners are going, well, what's going on and what is this going to be? And I just think that it's so such great advice, just top of mind. Let's go ahead and make sure that he's comfortable. Let me go ahead and get some fluids started. Yeah. Is that okay? And then I'll be back and we will talk through everything together. Yes. And then we're doing we're doing some good and he's getting comfortable. Yeah. Great advice. It's so it's really hard, I think, for the staff too to just be standing there knowing that we have to do all this stuff to this cat and he's just sitting, you know, crouched in the corner, straining, yowling, and we're just kind of twiddling our thumbs waiting for that decision, which is okay because it is a long conversation. But yeah, pain meds and then fluids. Uh, I am oftentimes surprised at, at how a lot of, I'll talk to technicians and say, how many of you guys are doing a fluid bolus before you anesthetize these cats? And there's this look of like, oh, he can't pee. We would never do that. <laughs> no, yeah. please do fluids. <laughs> So, you know, it doesn't, and I tell them, you don't want to put them on fluids and do all your procedures and go to lunch and then come back and unblock him. But, um, you know, little five mil per kick bolus, you know, get, get something rolling. He's, they're all dehydrated when they come in, you know, let's, let's think about getting them on some fluids. You have a strong preference in fluids? Um, no, just balanced isotonic crystalloids. So whatever <laughs> LRS norm, um, you know, there will be arguments, I think, until the end of days about, you know, whether you should use Normasol or, you know, 0.9% uh, sodium chloride or LRS, whatever, who cares? Crystalloids do it. Gotcha. Cool. All right, great. And then think about, um, you know, what their blood work looks like. So once you get fluids rolling, um, you know, see how their kidney values are mostly be very concerned about potassium. Um, if, you know, I, I am thinking it's a lot better now than it used to be as far as veterinarians having the ability to check electrolytes in house. Um, I just, I'm old now, <laughs> which is hard, for me. <laughs> but I remember back in the day that, you know, you might have had a, an old school vet test that you could put a couple, um, little slides in, but, but not a lot of us were checking electrolytes, but now what's their potassium. If you can't check their potassium, that's fine, but sculpt them and put them on your ECG and see what that looks like. Cause that's a, going to be a big problem for anesthesia if we don't have that potassium under control. Right. Right. We don't have a whole lot of options if it's not under control though, right? I mean, we absolutely have, we have plenty of options. Okay. Um, I think fluids are a big part of that. Um, we're not going to get potassium from high to normal with 
you know, just dilution of fluids, but um, that will be something to start with. Um, if they have ECG changes, um, giving them calcium. And this is a secret that probably only about half the interns that I work with know, but calcium gluconate doesn't change potassium levels, but it will make your ECG look a lot better. So we can start with that, um, little cardio protective for these guys, and then um, insulin, insulin dextrose, just plain 50% dextrose, doing something to drive that potassium intracellularly. Um, I've had some fun with some criticalists and we had injectable terbutaline on the shelf and that will also drive potassium intracellular and you don't have the need to check blood glucoses every two hours for the next 12 hours. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so if you happen to have those beta adrenergic agonists on your shelf, you can try those. Um, and lastly, kind of in a last ditch effort, um, for the really, really, really sick ones, um, sodium bicarb can push that potassium down. Um, I, I can't remember a time that I've participated in that, but I think in the really, really sick ones, you can do it. There's just a lot more after that you need to keep an eye on with that. Right. So totally. lots, lots of fun toys. That's, Probably one of my most favorite things to do is watch the ECG as we give calcium gluconate because all of a sudden I feel much better about anesthetizing that cat when I can see P waves again. <laughs> Very nice. Cool. So let's say, let's say the no concerns there. Okay. Um, I, there's a, another thing that I like to just quiz people on is, is how many of them will do decompressive cystocentesis before they anesthetize. Um, and I also get the look of horror of no, that the bladder's going to explode. It's going to be so terrible. <laughs> and I have, you know, we certainly don't do it on every cat. I don't think every cat needs to have it done, but, um, when we're thinking about how sick these guys might be, um, how painful they are, um, how long it's going to take us, you know, I think in a lot of emergency situations, you have one doctor running around trying to do everything, or even if it's not emergency, even if you're general practice and you have a full day of procedures plus appointments and you're one person, um, doing a cystocentesis makes that cat feel better, gets those kidneys working a little bit better, buys you a little bit of time to kind of squeeze that procedure in. Um, so if we're careful about it, um, I, you know, we're not going to explode a bladder by touching it. <laughs> so, um, hook it up, you know, I, I like to put a, an IV catheter. So instead of a, you know, a one and a half inch needle, just take a 22 gauge IV catheter and then you pull that stylet out and now you have just the catheter in the bladder. So you don't have a free needle waving around attaching that to an extension set three-way stopcock syringe and just empty as much of that urine out. Um, but all of these things, I think, we just need to pay more attention to how we're stabilizing these cats pre-anesthesia, and then that makes the anesthesia go a lot more smooth, and then they're going to wake up better and hopefully not be as labor-intensive post because we've done enough work pre to make things smooth. <laughs> I've definitely done a cystocytosis on, on a few of these cats in the past, mm -hmm. but my my cortisol level definitely shoots yeah. <laughs> up. You know, there's just... There's just something about holding the bladder in your hand yeah. and holding a needle in the other hand. And you think, is this a good idea? Am I really <laughs> sure this idea. is good? Yeah. Uh, I said, I def I've, def I've definitely done it. Uh, 
but I don't think that we ever get over that that thought of is this okay here we go yeah (laughs) I do have people ask me you know well how do you do that and my first response is well usually the veterinarian does that and I'm okay with it (laughs) (laughs) if something happens I would like it to be their fault but I think just do your do your due diligence in that long-haired cat clip it you know just make sure that you're you're doing everything you can. If that cat's got good pain management on board, he's not going to be struggling and flailing while you're doing it. You know, you, you do the best you can. And, you know, there's no way to know this for sure. But if that bladder ruptures while you're doing the cystocentesis, chances of that bladder rupturing during unblocking, post unblock, you know, those those are pretty high. You know, a 22-gauge needle, even in a stretched out angry bladder, shouldn't be detrimental unless you know, there's some sort of necrosis nastiness happening anyway. So cross your fingers, grit your teeth. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Cool. So if we get them stabilized uh, for anesthesia, we've got the bladder decompressed, feeling pretty good right now. Yeah. Yeah. And then as the anesthetist, as the technician who's, you know, in charge of making sure that cat makes it through this procedure, I'm feeling better. If my heart rate is good, my ECG is looking good, we have fluids on board, you know, kidneys, once you do that cystocentesis in those really, really azotemic cats, we get those kidneys working again. Um, Thinking about a caudal epidural as well. Um, If you do have a cat that you're really worried about general anesthesia, um, in the super sick ones, we've gotten away with an opioid, a little bit of midazolam, doing a caudal epidural, and you don't need general anesthesia for them. Um, it's It's simple in the sense that doing that caudal epidural, you can't you're not going to like paralyze them. (laughs) The complications of that procedure are you just didn't get it in the right spot and potentially infection if you didn't, you know, clip and clean well enough, but it is a procedure that uh, credentialed technicians can and should do. Um, And most of us have lidocaine and 25 gauge needle. So (laughs) that's a, a, and then it, you know, it's not going to last for days, but it gives you four ish hours of just that perianal area and local anesthesia. And so in my own experience, they tend to wake up a little bit better. There's not quite so much spinning and making macrame of all of their fluid and urinary lines. If they're, you know, a little bit numb back there, their back legs still work. So I think it's kind of our last procedure before we're going to actually anesthetize them. Or if they're stable, anesthetize them and then do that caudal epidural. And it tends to work pretty well on these guys. Okay. I've always put them under anesthesia and then Mm -hmm. start to work on epidural. Is that, but you... You don't have a strong preference before or after? Um, I just, for me, it depends on how sick they are. Um, when we're doing it in the ER, they tend to be the ones that come in just collapsed. And so we'll just do it. But yeah, if you have an awake, like angry, which a lot of them are, <laughs> um, do it after they're anesthetized because otherwise they're, you're just going to make them more angry. So I, for me, it just depends on how, what their mentation is when they come in. Beautiful. Okay. That makes sense. Feeling, feeling good, good pain control, always pain control. Yes. Especially in cats. This is another, if I have, I have a lot of soap boxes that I carry with me everywhere I go. And one, one of them is, is pain control in cats. And I think we have come to accept cats as just being crabby and hissing and growling in the hospital. And we just kind of go, Oh, it's cats. But if we're, 
I don't want to accept that. There are a few cats that are just angry in general, but most of them I think are terrified and painful. And we're not thinking about that as the problem. We're just, ah, he's, he's mad moving on instead of we, we might could be doing something a little bit more for him. And then maybe he's not going to be so growly. So off soapbox. Yes. Pain controlling cats. <laughs> Love it. And then, Love. and then we anesthetize them. So you know, I don't, I don't have a strong preference for what we use to anesthetize them. Um, as somebody who monitors these guys when they're waking up, um, sometimes ketamine is a little rough because uh, the procedure doesn't take very long. So if that ketamine's still on board and they're coming out and, you know, kind of doing the weaving and the, you know, watching movies on the cage wall that are not really there. Um, yeah. But I, I love me some alone, but I also understand that is not a drug that everybody has. It's expensive. It expires, whatever. Um, but if you have it works really well in these guys, but um, titrating propofol, you know, as long as you're comfortable using it, why not? But, you know, throw a little midazolam in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> if it's not something you do every day, intubating is always a good idea. Um, I'm famous for saying, Hey, can you help me with this real quick? And then it always takes 45 minutes. So if you think the unblocking is going to be real quick, we don't have to intubate that probably you just sealed your fate intubate. Yeah. Yeah. Never hurt anybody. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, then do you, you know, I, I am not the one who is doing the unblocking. So, you know, getting whatever you want to, to unblock them, um, whatever you do, just make sure you're securing that catheter to the cat afterwards. Make sure that, you know, all of your lines are pretty, make sure that cat has an e-collar on, but, um, just, yeah, I think what I like is that first 15, 20 minutes that that cat is in the hospital. Cause I think the more you do, pre, the better your during and post is going to go for these guys. It's one of those things in life where when you take time to set it up before you get started, everything goes so much better. Yes. And when you, when you cut corners on the setup, you know, you just, that you just set yourself up for these huge nightmares. And those are the ones when you end up in the procedure, ask, you know, asking for help or saying, Hey, could you, could you take a look at that ECG? I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, look right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of busy here, but that's, that's looking bad now that I look at it. So yeah, yeah that that's beautiful. But some pre-planning, some forethought. That's wonderful. Cool. Thanks, yeah. Megan. That's what I needed. Great. You're welcome. Thanks for doing this with me. Sure. I loved it. <laughs>